I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey. Okay, buckle up because this episode is going to be somewhat of a twisty road down a few rabbit holes. This subject was one of those things where you think you're starting with one thing and then you kind of keep uncovering and uncovering and all of a sudden you have something else. (laughs) As you all probably know, I am a potty training expert in addition to being a parenting expert, quote unquote expert. (laughs) You guys know how I feel about that term. I don't like to focus on potty training here on this podcast because this is all about parenting. But of course, when you're parenting toddlers, potty training often comes into play. So the two definitely intermingle. And you may or may not know this, but I have a whole ton of certified consultants who have their own potty training businesses. And we regularly consult and jam about potty training issues and parenting issues and the things that come up. Now, recently, the subject of sibling rivalry has come up, and and a lot of my certified experts were asking me about sibling rivalry, specifically how it relates to kids with a new baby or a new-ish baby in the house. And this led us down to this whole rabbit hole of, you're such a big kid. Yeah, that, that talk that we say, but you're a big boy, you're a big girl, that we say, almost as ubiquitously as good job. (laughs) And you know how much I love that phrase, not. Then we started talking about how night training, you know, trying to night train kids, meaning nighttime potty training, not sleep training, which is a different thing. And how kids are staying in cribs way longer than they used to. And how does that affect autonomy and growth? And yeah. So why don't you join me, Alice, while we hop down these rabbit holes? (laughs) Okay, sibling rivalry. I get contacted all the time about sibling rivalry, and it's one of those areas of parenting that it gets me really upset when I see other sort of parenting experts or people on Instagram or whatever, like offering these really pat solutions to sibling rivalry. Here's the real deal. There is almost nothing you can do about it, okay? Literally, and so many parents hate to hear this, you have to go old school. You, in your room. You, also in your room, right? You have to separate them. That's one of the clearest things. And it and it feels old school and parents want a solution that doesn't exist, which is a whole nother rabbit hole, right? But they want them to be nice to each other. You guys, it's not going to happen. Kids are going to fight. They are working out their real life crap 
with their siblings. One of my clearest memories of my entire childhood was my dad pulling over the car to the side of the road and not moving till all three of us kids cut the shit. And I do believe that was an exact quote said often, cut the shit or I'm not moving this car. Yeah. Your kids have to work this shit out with their siblings. And it's amazing. Yeah. It has no bearing on how much your kids love each other. It has no bearing on what their relationship is going to be like in the future. Yeah. I swear. Once kids get a little bit older, they're going to totally mess up anyone who fucks with their other, with their sibling. Yeah. But right now they've got to fight. Stop trying to make them love each other. Yes, 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 yes. I know it's super annoying. (laughs) And yes, I know you're super aggravated by all the bickering and the minutia of what's fair and who's looking at the other one and stop looking out my window and he blinked at me and he's breathing. Yeah, I get it. It's annoying. You, like all parents, are going to have to resort to separating them, bribing them with treats for not killing each other, threatening consequences when they override you. Yes, these will remain true throughout their childhood. Now, of course, you always, always, always want to check in with family connection. Each person within your family needs individual connection, no matter how brief. And we also need family connection, doing things together. Again, it doesn't have to be a crazy amount of time, but there has to be some run-of-the-mill arguing and shit that can't be helped, no matter how many parenting articles you read. And when you check in with that connection, make sure everybody's, you're never going to meet everybody's needs, you guys. It's just not going to happen, okay? But one of the things, and you know this from my toddler book, I believe in the, the family unit, starting with the marriage, is an umbrella, right? An umbrella of love to protect the family. And in our busy day-to-day life, the family love, the family connection ends up being a crash pad at the end of the day. And that's not cool. I think that really shifted during the pandemic. And that's like, we've got this beautiful thing now in front of us where we were sort of connected as a family. And that was one of the really cool things that I think came out of the pandemic. But check on your connection, make sure everybody gets their individual connection and there's a family connection there. But beyond that, there's so little you can do about about the sibling rivalry. And so just know that you're just going to have to employ these like old school kind of tips and tricks and, and techniques. There's an interesting thing that happens and I have talked about it both in my book and I've talked about it here and I, I think I've just really touched on it. I don't know that I've talked in depth about it. I call it top-down parenting. And I first noticed this directly in my personal life and it is trippy. And then I started seeing it in my professional work with families and I was like, holy shit. So I'll use two con- friends that I have as a really concrete example so you can tr- you know, start to wrap your head around this. Both of these friends have four kids. One, I noticed, and I noticed this years ago, she was catering to the youngest And that moved up. So the youngest would kind of get all the focus. And as you move up the sibling chain, they would get progressively less attention and focus. Her theory was that the youngest is the physically neediest and the older ones can handle themselves. And I'm talking about like under 10 years old, yeah? The other friend has four kids and she goes top down. So the oldest gets most of the attention, activities and such, and it trickles down. Mind you, neither one of these has an official philosophy about this. It's just something that like, you know, I sort of observed and and teased out the differences. So neither one was like, oh, this is what I think is right. It's just sort of what happened. The friend that goes bottom up, her kids 
were just be like she was getting ridiculously shitty behavior from all of her kids. Fairly unbelievable. And the other friend gets the polar opposite. Her older kids help, do chores. They help with the younger kids. And I swear, her kids are like the best kids on the planet. It's just like being around her kids is awesome. Both families happen to homeschool. Friend A, who catered to the youngest, struggles with all her kids. Like the older ones were struggling to read. The older ones were struggling with math. And actually, she ended up sending her kids back to school. Friend B does not. In fact, her youngest literally taught herself to read and write really well at a crazy young age. Being surrounded by other kids doing their work, she just naturally fell into it. Now, I'm using these two as an example, and I realize there are a billion other factors that could go into these differences, but it made me take note, and I'm telling you this holds true for a lot of families. Friend A is unwittingly infantilizing all her kids, creating infant-like needs, wants, drama, because that's the place from which she's focusing. By constantly focusing on the youngest, she's dragging the other ones down, right? Friend B is raising everyone up to a higher level. I hope you're having this like holy woe moment because when I discovered this, it was really cool. The difference is like, let's take viewing. Yeah. Everybody knows like when you have a bunch of kids, you know, I'd say anything from three on, which to me is a bunch, (laughs) right? Kids with parents with six kids looks like a million to me. So God, God bless you if you have six or more. Um, But if, if you make the whole family watch Paw Patrol, right? You you can tell your older ones are going to be bored. They're going to get crazy. The youngest in a big family almost always has watched Harry Potter by the time they're three because <laughs> they just kind of have to come for the ride. And I think that's I think that's right and just. It's far better to do that and elevate the youngest than it is to drag the oldest down because you're curbing their growth, both emotional, physical, um, intellectual. Yeah. And, and we have this problem right now where we're infantilizing our kids. If you're having a hard time wrapping your head around this, let's put it into another concrete thing. Chores. If you're catering to a three-year-old doing chores, you're going to oversimplify things, right? Of course. Your expectations are going to be low. You're going to work on that one small thing at a time. The older ones are going to look on and do that too right? That they're going to have these low expectations. It's going to be oversimplified. But if you focus on the older child, teaching the older child, doing a good job, doing a thorough job, having a high expectation of them, the younger ones are going to look on, see that modeled, and have the same expectations as you, right? This is, this is like, whoa, you are literally raising the bar. Not to some impossible place, but to a place that it should naturally be. Children rise to the occasion. I want to give you a quick tangent story because it's it's fairly important, and I also love this story. <laughs> Kids rise to the tie. This is a, a a saying I came up with for Pascal. Pascal was about four, and it was the holidays, and we celebrate Christmas. And I wanted to go to a holiday show, and I wanted to start like this tradition. You know, we go to see this show every year. I didn't want to do the Nutcracker. I'm sorry. I think the Nutcracker is boring as fuck. If you love it, awesome. I do not. <laughs> Um, and I did not want to do a Christmas carol. There's a local theater company that does a Christmas carol every year. I don't care for it. So I kind of searched around and I realized I wanted to go to Radio City Music Hall in New York City and see the Rockettes. And that would be our Christmas t- tradition. I am also a stickler for dressing up for the theater. I am not a go in jeans and relax kind of person. You get dressed up to go to the theater, especially for the price of the Rockette tickets. <laughs> 
So we went and I got him his first suit with a tie. And oh man, this kid literally wore that suit every day from December 18th until like the second week in January. Did not want to take it off. He would like look in the mirror and he would smooth down his tie. And he asked me for a, you know, one of those plastic things that holds the pens for his pocket. (laughs) He loves it. Now, we also, when we went to see the Rockettes for the first time, he loved the show, of course. And we got our picture taken with one of the Rockettes. And her name was Lindsay. And I'll never forget her because she bent down to Pascal. And I mean bent down because this woman was like a mile high. Taking your picture next to a Rockette is like not a self-esteem booster. (laughs) So Lindsay like, you know, bends down and she said, did you wear this suit just for the theater? And Pascal nodded his head, yes. And she said, Pascal, you're going to grow up to be a very great man. Holy shit, you guys. That phrase got like three years of use in my house. He just was beaming. It was like... I just, I don't even have any words. I will never forget this because he just was like, you could see him seeing his future. And he was like, I am going to grow up to be a very great man. I don't know if it was the tie. I don't know if it was Lindsay saying this to him, but holy shit, it elevated his attitude and his behavior to sky high. He rose to the tie. We got back from that trip and that whole time he wore that tie, he was helpful. He was like four years old trying to be this like manly self. It was just so incredible. He rose to the tie. Now they've actually proven this with difficult kids in poor performing schools. Uniforms and dressing up makes kids rise to the tie. There's an inner pride and they want to do better and be better because they're dressed up. So I think it's a pretty interesting phenomenon. This is why when a kid who's potty training and relying too much on mom, I have a huge, I have a you know, probably, probably four blog posts that are on elevating autonomy. Yeah. That have nothing to do with potty training. One of my best tricks when you have a kid who's kind of acting too young for their age or stuck in this baby zone is I have parents supervise big knife use with the kids. So, you know, I got this idea about 10 years ago with Pascal after the whole Rockettes thing. I was like, oh, okay, we need to raise this kid up. And I started to look for ways to do that. Using a big knife, obviously, with a lot of supervision on like soft things like cooked vegetables. Yeah. Using a big knife was instant elevation. And you don't even have to say that stupid phrase, you're such a big kid. They know they're a big kid. They got the freaking big knife in the kitchen. They get it and they rise to the knife. They rise to the tie. Circling back around out of this rabbit hole down the next rabbit hole, (laughs) I think that a lot of sibling rivalry, a lot of regressions, a lot of the shitty behavior that we're seeing in our kids is due to a lack of autonomy. It's due to infantilizing the child. We have a weird thing going on with kids under six. And I know you guys, I know they're still little, right? But we're doing a whole lot of infantilizing and it's really distressing right? I'm hearing that there are sleep experts recommending that kids stay in cribs until they're four. I don't even know how you do that because like at four, they have skills to take apart the crib, never mind climb out of the crib, right? So four years old, some kids are actually reading chapter books at four. There is a famous actress who will remain nameless who has proudly announced that her child is five and not potty trained. Five-year-olds 
can scramble their own eggs, you guys. So to tell the world that your five-year-old is not potty trained, that's wearing a diaper at five years old and there's no disability, there's no issues, that's infantilizing our kids. If you have a four-year-old in a crib and you have a five-year-old in a diaper, you you like aren't allowed to say you're such a big girl. Yeah. How do you expect your child to act like a big kid when you are not letting them be an actual big kid? Right. Think about that. Now, I know we're totally in different times and I'm not a fan of like, oh, in the olden days, you know, things were so different because I I understand how things have changed. But seriously, one generation ago, five-year-olds could walk themselves to school often up to a mile away. They could cross streets and manage just fine. They had critical thinking. They knew how to follow directions. They knew how to not get themselves killed. Yeah. Pascal literally was making his own eggs at the age of five. He could turn on the stove. He could get a stool. He could crack the eggs. He could put them, put them in the pan with some butter. He, at five years old, could do that. And we have kids wearing diapers at age five. Like, that's crazy. So you got to look for ways to rise your child up, to raise them up. Did I say that wrong? I I don't care. We want to rise, right? We want them to rise. So in my book, Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler, I talk about leveling up toys and games, right? Kids who are bored and being kept below their level of growth are going to act like little dicks. They really are. Yeah. They have no choice but to get niggly and wonky and pokey and yucky. They're going to do that. They're going to be assholes to their siblings because they're bored, because they're being kept from emotional, physical, intellectual growth. Okay. Across the board, 100%, both in potty training and parenting, we're seeing so much shitty behavior. And it's not just with new babies and siblings, but all over. And it's not just pandemic anxiety either, or back to socializing crappy behavior, although those are very present and that warrants its own podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Simultaneously, with all this shitty behavior, I'm seeing this infantilization of our kids and it's making them fucking cranky. Their little brains need challenges to grow, to keep busy figuring stuff out. They need pride in self-mastery. This is why I keep doing potty training work because parents contacting me and saying, oh my God, how proud their kids are of themselves. Yeah. This is how you build good self-esteem. I'll say this. This will be on my, my tombstone probably. Stop saying good job for every little thing and start finding pockets of elevation. Stop handing your kids, stop, you know, trying to hand them self-esteem. Stop having these like ridiculously low expectations, like good job for riding your bike. Good, like good job for fucking breathing, man. No, give them these pockets of elevation so that they can have pride in themselves and pride in self-mastery. That is what builds self-esteem. Okay. So (laughs) what can you do to help this along? How can you start to raise your child up? How can you elevate their growth? Number one, for the love of all that is holy, please stop bemoaning the growth of your child. There's an awful trend happening in parenting, particularly with moms who are constantly in a bittersweet melancholy 
that their kids are growing up. I see this. I hear this. I hear parents talking in front of their kids. I actually had to break up with a mom, um, not particularly just over this, but it really irked me. Like her kids were growing and she um, she actually did work with, with babies and she would constantly talk to her big kids about how much she missed them being babies. Oh my God, is there anything worse than somebody telling you how much they loved you, how you used to be? Think about that. Like, oh, I loved you so much when I first met you, honey. I loved you so much. That was so great when our love was new. Like, and that's all your spouse says to you. Never about how you've grown, how I love you now as a mama. I love you now that we have four kids together, right? Can you imagine? That's so stifling. And I get it. You could post it on your Instagram, you know, that your kid's not going to read. I understand that. But be cautious that you're not doing this in front of your child. You're sending the message that in order to be loved, your child has to stay little and in your control. Listen to me. It's really hard to grow in that shadow, okay? So stop doing that in front of your child. Celebrate all that your kid can do, all that they are capable of, and you don't even need the constant, you're such a big kid. Let's take a quick tangent. Let's go down another little rabbit hole, shall we? (laughs) You're such a big kid. Oh, you're such a big boy. You're such a good big brother. Yeah, this can sound really shitty to a kid who's competing with a newborn. So one of the things when we're potty training and, and mom, you know, mom and dad have a second child and they're like, oh, this, you know, there's a regression or something like that, which by the way, doesn't always happen. The child, your older child is going to react to the newborn, but it doesn't always result in a potty training uh, regression. But we, the very first thing I do is have them nix saying, oh, you're such a big boy. You're such a big boy, right? Your child is not enticed by this talk. Your child is looking over at, as you fawn over this seven poundish lump of crying, pooping newborn that gets all the focus and attention and can do jack squat, yeah? And then you turn around and say, hey, you're such a big kid. That doesn't sound good to them, yeah? Again, you want to celebrate all your kid can do, all they're becoming, right? But you don't have to say those words. It's a meaningless soundbite. It's no, it's no better than, oh, good job, good job. My personal thing that I say to Pascal that I have said, I've said it all along at, and I honestly mean it. <laughs> I have always loved you, but I love you more each day with all the things you're capable of doing. And it's super fun because sometimes he'll go like, what? You know, and I love when our kids do this. It's their slick way. They want you to say really prideful things about them. And they love these conversations where they're like, what? What, what can I do now that I couldn't do before? And we have such a blast, you know, reliving his years and just how marvelous he is at this stage now. And I always say, you know, oh my God, I hated that screaming stage when you were a toddler and, um, you know, you were so, everything was like super good or super bad. And now we have all these nuances and you can really like talk to me about how you're feeling. And, and it's just so great. You guys, it's so great watching your kid feel the shine, the, 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 the sunshine of your love and pride, like watching their face as you tell them how proud you are about specifics and what they are capable of now, how they've grown. It's just magical watching their face. So, so be conscious of that. Yeah. All right. What else can you do? Definitely. If you have more than one kid, I really want you to think and, and, you know, powwow with your spouse about it too is, um, I think I just, okay, sorry. I just wanted to apologize. I said powwow. And I think that's not, not cool to say anymore. (laughs) So my head just went, oh, we don't say that anymore. But anyway, have a meeting with your spouse and 
if you have more than one kid, do the top down, trickle down style of parenting. Yeah. And, and think of ways that you can do that. A quick note on the, this subject. You do not have to be fair, you guys. And I see this all over. You don't have to do all the same things you did with your older. You don't have to do that with your younger. You know, if you went to Disney when, you know, your oldest was five, you don't have to do that with every one of your kids. You really don't. The younger kid has all kinds of shit that the older kid didn't have, including badass older siblings. Yeah. So stop trying to be like super fair with your kids. It will trickle down and it's a bonus that it will help mitigate your own kids' concern over what is fair. So if you're like trying to meter out all fairness to all your kids, it's not going to happen. But also we know this is such a big thing with kids. That's not fair. That's not fair. Yes, you're right. It's not fair. Nothing in life is fair, period. You might as well start now with nothing is fair. Next up, Question every single thing you do for your kids. Can they do this by themselves? Can I teach them to do this by themselves? Spoiler alert, yes, they can do it by themselves. And yes, you can teach them to do it by themselves. There is so much more your kids can do. And don't forget, I say this, like it's sort of the theme of, oh crap, I have a toddler. A kid who feels like they're part of the household, who's taking part in the household, feels pride in being part of the village, yeah? So definitely keep your child doing things, doing things around the house, doing things that they're capable of doing for themselves. Look around at their environment. Are you elevating them? Are you looking towards their growth, yeah? Five-year-olds don't need sippy cups. Four-year-olds don't need sippy cups. Okay, we don't need sippy cups, period. I don't, I'm not a fan of sippy cups. (laughs) Yeah. I get that your kid can carry around a a sippy cup and not spill it. Yeah. But I work with three or four-year-olds who don't even know how to drink out of a real cup. A sippy cup's like a glorified bottle. Just even something that simple. No, no, no. You can come to the table and have a drink out of a real glass. Yeah. So it's like, sometimes it's even these little things. Yeah. Is your kid still in a crib? Are they in a sleep sack? I know this is controversial because kids have had trouble sleeping. I know a lot of sleep experts, you know, really recommend these things. But at three or four years old, uh, I don't know. You know, I think that if your house were on fire, they should be able to walk themselves out. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I honestly don't care. I don't care if it is the case. But what I do care about is stop acting like they should be a big kid. And then, you know, they're in they're in a crib at night. You can't have it both ways, Right. Are their toys too young for them? Please note that because of our dumbass litigious society, the ages on boxes of toys are often higher than they should be. For five ages, you know, when it says for ages five and up, it might be just fine for your three-year-old. They just want to cover their asses, yeah? We also tend to stockpile stuff for the first kid, and we just kind of keep it on hand for the younger ones that are coming. But then the oldest is stuck with baby toys. So make sure you are leveling up their environment. I have an entire chapter of this in the book, yeah? Next, are your expectations high enough, right? Revisit the podcast episode about magical childhood. It's in the first season. Sometimes, and we are all guilty of this, we're so busy making childhood magical that we forget that it's the training ground for real life. And parents really do forget that. One of my favorite books about education is called Invent to Learn. I've mentioned it before, and I'll link it in the show notes. 
It's a, it's a really great book. It's sort of a foundation for me in homeschooling, although it's not particular about homeschooling. This guy is about tinkering and hands-on learning before you actually learn the equations, the algorithms, the formulas, right? Like you should be taking things apart and or building things. And then when you move into math or engineering, then the the equations sort of make sense, right? Because you need them. One thing he he does that was just sort of mind-blowing to me is he breaks down how you learn baseball as a way of, you know, showing how we should be teaching our kids in general. And he goes on to say, you know, if we learn baseball in a typical school setting, we'd learn the history of baseball. We'd learn the spelling of all the vocabulary words. You might compare and contrast baseball with other sports. You'd have to memorize all the players and the stats, right? You might get around to actually holding a baseball, maybe in high school, maybe you could start to play as a senior, right? That's how we've come to think of math and science, right? We learn all the other things except the actual how to do it. And that's not how we teach baseball, right? How do we teach baseball? We start with t-ball. We modify the rules. We make the game doable for little kids. We put the ball on a stick that they can make and they can hit. Every time we use a softer ball, we have shorter distances. We have slightly different rules, right? The same thing applies as raising a kid. We shouldn't be keeping them from doing real life things, right? We want to modify the rules, but they should be doing real life things. Childhood is not separate. It's not like they get to seven or eight and suddenly they know how to do things. It's not like they get to 13 and suddenly they know how to do things. It's the training ground for being a young adult, which is the training ground for being an adult, which doesn't, I'm not saying you don't have fun, but we've come to like almost take childhood out of reality and put it into this like magical zone. Quick story, I'm teaching Pascal how to drive. We go to this empty, it's actually a closed mall. So it's kind of cool because they have like, you know, they have like almost like roads with stop signs. He's just 14, but I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want you to get used to driving a car for one week before your driver's test. (laughs) Like, let's build into this very, very slowly, you know, so we can, you know, you can really start to wrap your head around it. So yeah, don't keep them from doing their real life things, right? Allow your child to show you what they are capable. Look, I totally get it. Your kids are little. I understand that. And sometimes I talk about four-year-olds like they're grown-ass college kids. They're not. They're little. They're going to need snuggles and babying and loving. And you're going to have to lean into tantrums. And you're going to have to, you know, they're growing. They're going to have growing pains along this trajectory. I'm not saying that we should throw them to the wolves. But also, as a whole, we need to start raising our expectations of what they can do and what they're capable of. And I swear, the bonus of this is you're going to get better behavior, okay? So stop infantilizing. Think of ways you can elevate them and then watch the magic happen. All right, you guys, as always, I thank you for your support. Oh, and keep your eye out. If you're a patron, keep your eye out on your email because I'm going to send a directions for how to get the podcast in your RSS feed so that you don't necessarily have to log on to your computer or Patreon. I know that if you log into the app Patreon on your phone, you can um, listen to the podcast that way. But I found out a way to get it into your RSS feed so you can just go where all your podcasts are. And that will be helpful, I think, for you guys. All right. As always, rock on, you guys. 
All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book pre-sale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.